0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the PGR cast. Today with us is Shruti Vanktachlam. Shruti is a final year PhD student at the University of Bristol, and she's doing a PhD in policy studies, with her research focused on violence against disabled women in India.
1: In this episode, we touch on the challenges and rewards of doing a PhD with a disability and on a very personal topic, the experiences as an international PhD student, and the learning curve of a doctorate degree.
0: We hope you enjoy. Hello Shruti, thank you for joining us today. Do you want to get started by telling us a little bit about your PhD?
2: Yeah, hi. So I'm doing my PhD on uh, policy studies. So basically I'm looking at violence against disabled women and how they navigate the justice system. And my research is like, I mean, the research context is based out of India. So I'm looking at the Indian system, like how uh, things work.
1: Yeah. And where did you do your undergrad, Shruti?
2: I did my undergrad and postgrad in India, so I have my background in social work. And what year did you move to Bristol to do your
1: PhD? I moved in 2018. And how are you finding the city so far?
2: I did stay here for, uh, for my first year, then I went back to India f- to do my fieldwork, but unfortunately because of Covid and all those things, I had to stay back. I came back br- uh, to Bristol last November. Just enjoying the city as such.
1: Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about your field work? What did it involve?
2: I was doing interviews with uh, disabled women who had some sort of experience of violence in their lives. Yeah, that was it. It was not an easy space to be in, but Mm. I had to do it for my PhD. Yeah,
0: it sounds quite challenging work to approach sensitively, but very necessary work, of course. Yeah. And and how does the Indian system differ from the system in the UK?
2: So one basic difference that I can, I mean, that I could see is the implementation of policies. Mm-hmm. We do have policies in India as well but uh, we lack implementation because of that people tend to struggle much so we do have laws we do have programs but nothing gets implemented so uh, because of that not only disabled women in general Mm -hmm. people struggle so obviously this
1: is a very serious and also very important topic to cover Um, at a doctorate level what drew you to choosing this as your phd
2: so I told you that I have my background in social work. I had my field work in my master's degree, and I was placed in an institution for people with mental illness. When I was doing my field work, I saw—I mean—the the way people with mental illness they were treated in a very bad manner. There were a lot of untold stories that I could—I got to listen from the women in the institution so when i got out i was just trying to understand i mean i wanted to know more and i was looking for literatures and i couldn't find any literac- uh, any literatures on disabled women in especially in the indian context across the globe yes there are not many studies done on this particular field but when it came to india there were hardly like 2 3 studies So that actually drove me to investigate more into the issue. Also, I want to bring out the voice of disabled women who have been silenced for many, many years.
1: That is a truly great feat that you're taking on. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Really impressive work. And and what drew you to Bristol in the first place?
2: I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't there for me to do PhD overseas, Mm. but... I got a scholarship to do PhD abroad, and it was a government-funded scholarship, like Indian government-funded scholarship. Mm -hmm. Then I started looking for universities, And I was very particular to come to UK because I've been here uh, in 2016. I came here uh, to Lancaster for for presenting at a conference. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to come back here. Also, another reason is UK has a very strong history of activism when it comes to disability. So I just wanted to do my PhD here. So I was looking for universities, I did come up with some like seven, eight universities across UK and Bristol in particular, I chose because of the centre. I'm based at the Centre for Gender and Violence Research. I mean, a lot of research that have been done in terms of gender based violence and things like that. So uh, I was able to resonate with some of the work that has been already carried out at the university. Can you tell us a bit more about maybe your involvement in
1: activism whilst here at the University of Bristol?
2: I've not been into activism as such so far, but I have vision impairment. I'm a person with blindness. And for me, it was not so easy to accommodate and to get adjust to new environment. So I've never been to Bristol before I joined my PhD. My impression about university was completely different, but when I came here, because Bristol University is, it's not, I mean, it is spread across the city, right? It's not just like we a don't campus have, university. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't have boundaries and mm-hmm. uh, it's, the, the, the structure itself is different. It was a huge shock for me when I came, like, for the first time. I can imagine the hills were a shock yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, especially the pavements. Uh, mm. Yes, they the
1: are pave- very irregular.
2: Yeah, <laughs> the pavements are, I was, because we i had similar pavements back home and when i when i was walking here i was like okay this this doesn't make any difference <laughs> i was i was just like wondering okay where where i have landed because i want to move to some more accessible environment mm-hmm. and now like bristol pavements doesn't make much difference it's like more <laughs> like walking in my home country oh, no. <laughs> So that was a huge shock. And it took some time, like I was kind of questioning my decision, like for a while, like whether I've made a right choice to come here. But fortunately, I had some support from the university, the disability support, they did provide me a support worker in the beginning the support worker helped me to get orient and uh, yeah it's it's still I find that I have not come across it's still like I'm I do encounter many challenges in terms of walking across the city as such Mm -hmm. but uh, one one good thing is like I I feel safe like to walk on the roads which I don't feel back home so that that I I don't get worried when I step out of my home Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, that was a great, like, good thing about being here.
1: Can you walk us through any other challenges and support that you have to overcome those challenges to perform all the tasks that you have to do as a PhD, such as writing a thesis, looking up literature, making your interviews?
2: Personally, I had many non-academic challenges rather than academic so because I have a support worker to help me with my academics, uh, that makes things a bit easy. Yeah, there are some issues in terms of website accessibility and things like that. The, the library website is not very accessible with my screen reader. So always I had to depend on someone. Yeah, I do have a support worker. But as a person for me, I just like to do things on my own mm, rather absolutely. than planning up, fixing an appointment noting down whatever resources I need like then asking for help so that's like for me an extra like uh, work I still appreciate that because I I have the support but for me as a person like to do who, who likes to do things on my own it's something that I s- still struggle with yeah uh, and other than that I manage like to do my writing and stuff on my own uh, I use a screen reader called JAWS, so with with that, I managed to do my work on my own, and my supervisors are supportive. So PhD is going well; like I'm not facing any great difficulties as such in terms of writing and things like that.
0: And you're writing up at the minute now. Are you?
2: Yeah, I'm writing. I'm I'm, in my, uh, I'm doing my analysis now.
0: Mm. And so, how's that going? Because I know, it can be often be a challenge. People dread the write-up stage at the end of the PhD.
2: Yeah. Uh, I thought I was so scared like I was so scared in the beginning I was wondering how I would be how would I manage to travel and complete my work but it's going good it's not as I thought it's just Mm -hmm. so far things are going well.
1: In the last episode we touched a little bit on imposter syndrome insecurities and that type of challenges that are common to PhDs is that something that you've gone through and that you can relate
2: to as well? Yes, uh, I can relate myself to that. So for me now, I, since I'm in my final year, so I'm just having that pressure to complete. So I can
1: relate to that. Yeah, so,
2: <laughs> so last minute pressure. I think that is pushing me to do work mm-hmm. and just yes, I do take frequent breaks. And uh, it's not that I work five days a week. I'm able to, when, when I when I get to that point, like when I have a deadline, like when I have to send something to my supervisor, I just uh, sit and like... Oh, get, get it done. Yeah, yeah get yeah, it yeah. done. Yeah.
1: And how have your supervisors been supportive
2: of you and your disability? They're very understanding. I have that space to talk to them, like mm-hmm. uh, whatever I'm going through and they, they tend to get it. Mm-hmm. So they're, uh, they're very accommodative.
1: And of course, the relationship of PhD student supervisor is key to a successful yeah, PhD. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: So luckily, like from the beginning, I had a very smooth relationship with my supervisors. I tend to take frequent breaks because of the the issue also like that I'm working on. It's very sensitive. So it's very, and sometimes it gets too much. Mentally taxing. House. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I get to take breaks, and I I just tell them I need a break. I'm not able to. It's 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 affecting my mental health. So they they just let me to mm. take breaks and
0: yeah. No, it's, it's nice they acknowledge you know the the challenges that come with doing that kind of work.
1: So on the topic of mental health, these have been two words that have risen quite a lot in the media recently, and it's great to see that it's receiving the attention that it should get, especially in the in the university environment. When I started my undergrad, it's probably something that didn't appear that much in the student support bulletins. How do you feel on the University of Bristol and their approach towards uh, supporting students, both postgraduates and undergraduates, with regards to mental health?
2: Yeah, to be honest, my experience was not that great. I don't know because for me, like there are a couple of reasons. Like one is the difference in culture because I come from a different culture and my experience with the counselling support because I had most of my time just gone and explaining the whole scenario, environment, Mm -hmm. culture, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it didn't help me much to be very honest Uh, because Bristol is, I mean University of Bristol like they do have a lot of international students, so I think it would be something good if they have counsellors from different backgrounds. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. great point.
0: As a, an international student, we've only spoken to to one other person who was based in the UK before, so how have you found your experience coming over to Bristol and, and integrating with the university?
2: Being an international student, I didn't have uh, that much. I mean, I didn't find uh, so much difference in terms of getting along with people here. But I had um, many difficulties to access resources because of being an international student, especially like to cater to my uh, disability needs. I had to go through a very difficult phase just because I'm I was an international student and there was no funding and you know, mm. things like that. So other than that, it wasn't that hard for me. Yeah, because I come from an, in, uh, I mean, I come from India and India itself is like, it's highly diversified. Mm. So it wasn't that, diff- I mean, I didn't find it much uh, difference to kind of find myself here. Can you
1: tell us a bit more about the international community? Here at the University of Bristol, what sort of events are organised that are targeted at international students, for example?
2: I, I think uh, university have wide range of societies, mm-hmm. like for different... Uh, for different interests. cultures and nationalities, yeah. Yeah, yeah for, uh, and also for different interests. I did not have much experience in participating in many events as such. I did attend few, very few in the beginning, like in the first year. But again, like because of some limitations, I just couldn't attend those events. Mm -hmm.
1: It can be quite overwhelming as well, the amount of societies that are offered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's obviously very important that anything within the realm of university, including university societies, be as inclusive as possible.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, re- and it, re- it requires so much energy from, from my side. Energy in the sense, like, because I need to explain my situation to people. I need to, like, ask for some reasonable adjustments for me to fully participate. And actually, that requires a lot of energy and Most of the time, I just...
1: (laughs) So for sure, it can impose some barriers on Mm socialising. Yeah. So an important question is now that you're in the write-up phase of your PhD, are you looking forward into the horizon? What comes next for you after you submit?
2: Yeah, I'm just thinking of doing a postdoc. But I'm keeping my options open because I think that helps me to venture into new opportunities. So instead of having my focus on one particular career aspect. So I've been looking a couple of like career options in terms of think tanks and postdoc and things like that. But I didn't involve much into that because I don't want to be like... Worrying about it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to uh, affect my uh, like writing uh, at present. I just want to complete this and I'm looking forward to complete it maximum by this September. I just want to finish. I want to submit. And after that, I'll have some time between my submission and my Viva. So I, I want to use that time to look out for other opportunities.
1: I mean, that's great that you're keeping your options open. In the last episode, we also talked from the engineering perspective about keeping our options open between industry and academia.
0: Yeah, it's a, an extra challenge, really, as you wrap up, trying to come to decide what you're going to do next whilst making sure you do a good job in, in finishing off the write-up. So I think it's quite clever to use your time between the submission and the viva to, to settle on the next steps. Yeah. Would you stay in Bristol to do a postdoc or would you go further afield?
2: I'm just keeping it open. But I wanted to stay in UK for some more time after my PhD mm-hmm. and take up opportunities that come come on way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can
1: imagine that being so far from home might also affect your decision. I, I myself am also an international student, but Spain for me is much closer than India is and it's much easier to, I suppose, hop on a flight how have you found being so far away from home and in such a different culture and environment, how has that affected perhaps your performance, say, if you, have you ever felt homesick?
2: I've not felt homesick because I wanted to be here. So I made that decision. So I'm okay with it. But yes, I do miss my home when it comes to food and comfortness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Mom's, here, mom's comfort. Yeah, comfort. <laughs> and we always have uh, people around to do things like mm. back home here. It's like everything you have to do. Most of the time goes in planning, like planning the week, planning the meal and... Yeah, I I miss sometimes like when 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 my family when they have get together and things like that. Yeah, since I, I think, and also I was home for the last two years. At the end of my second year, I just started, I just felt like ready coming to back come back to yes. Bristol. Yes. It's yes. like how you feel like when you're here, you just feel like you will be so desperate to go back home, right? So like that, I was so desperate to come back to Bristol uh-huh. mm-hmm. and start my work because my work was not progressing much in uh, like when I was at home. Mm-hmm. So if things were so slow and I was getting worried like I don't want to fall back and I just want to finish by the end of this year Mm -hmm. so I was so desperate to come back to Bristol and start my work
1: Yes, you, you do hear of, uh, or I've heard a couple of uh, friends who've done their write-up back home. So they go back home and I suppose they're lucky enough that their parents can help, I suppose, with the food. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would
2: be more or no. less productive.
0: I, I think it can be a challenge working at home, managing your family being around you while you're doing your yeah. PhD work.
2: Because lots of distractions I find personally. Mm, my personal yeah. experience is when I'm back home, Like, too many distractions. Suddenly, like, the family will be having some plan and someone would be visiting and... uh so many things and you hard. just you just say just let me be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to excuse yourself from those things. Yeah. You want to get involved with it's Yeah, yeah. you I, get
2: so tempted to just like go and put your put yourself everywhere mm. when you're back home. Mm-hmm. So here and, and I like uh, working in a, a cohort like who does similar thing like I just uh, like coming to the office and doing my work when I see people around me working, I just get that motivation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the, like, writing PhD is like, it's it's always, I find it like, less motivated work absolutely
1: mm. what's what's your current split of working from home or coming into the office coming I like. into the
2: office every I just, day yeah, uh-huh. yeah okay, I just want good. to come into the office like Monday to Friday uh-huh. so that I just though I don't work the whole day but at least I do some I mean at the end of the day I feel okay I've done something productive today mm-hmm. so I mean, I don't get that feeling when I sit at home
1: yeah certainly after um, the pandemic social interactions require a lot more energy than they yeah. did before <laughs> <laughs> uh, be them in in the office or outside of the office.
0: Yeah, which is why I just stay at home the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Safer there. I'm wondering how the use of things like Teams and Zoom have affected your work over the sort of course of the pandemic? Have you found that they've been useful tools, or would you rather just be in person talking to somebody?
2: I, I like them. Like in some uh, sometimes I just like find Zoom very useful and also Mm -hmm. it's uh, for me like to use with my screen reader it's very accessible Mm -hmm. it depends on the type of activities that we uh, that I involve in some mm, certain activities it's 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 okay for me to do over zooms but some like uh, especially attending conferences Mm -hmm. I feel like in face to face would be much better so you can just like talk to people like who have similar interests can have some uh, you you have that space to uh, establish some network mm. which is very difficult to to do over Zoom or something.
1: Can you talk us through your experience so far with conferences?
2: Yeah, I did attend a couple of conferences uh, last year, like and even the year previous. In the beginning like when we had lockdown and all those things uh, um, having uh, uh, seminars and lectures online was very fascinating but over the time I started finding it difficult where my attention spam was very short yeah like I won't know. be able to sit in a conference from morning till evening so I would just get on to the sessions where I'm presenting Mm-hmm. And I would listen to them, <laughs> and I would be like off. That's it. Oh <laughs> so
1: how do you find presenting uh, online versus presenting in person?
2: Presenting online was well, sometimes I would be thinking whether is there anyone in the room who's listening <laughs> to me or it's just me te- speaking to the computer. I'm
1: sure your your supervisors, if any of them lecture, can definitely relate. yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I can for sure relate to that as well. But I, I also think that my view is a personal presentation is much less nerve-wracking than an in-person presentation. Because you can't see mm. the audience. So it, it's because you can't see the audience, it's From, it's, yeah. its own pro and con.
0: From the nerves point of view, you are just talking to a screen. So you can kind of ignore the fact there might be 50 people listening. Yeah. But then again, if you really want to engage with your audience, particularly if you want to start asking questions to people or or getting questions from the audience, it can be a little bit (laughs) quiet, I find, and people don't want to put themselves forward in a Zoom call and and jump in.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, but certainly I was able to go to my first in-person conference in October since the pandemic, and it was a completely different experience to any of the online conferences that I had attended.
0: Yeah, I think that's a challenge for all of us, is that now that conferences are opening back up and, and running in person, is we've all got experience running online conferences and presenting at those or doing posters online, which is its own own challenge. And now that we go back out into the real world, so to speak, and see people in person, we've kind of got to relearn how to do conferences.
1: Yeah, as I said, social skills take up <laughs> so much more energy in this day and age, yeah, absolutely. post-pandemic. <laughs> so, In the last episode with Alex, we talked, um, so the, the three of us happen to be engineers, we talked about the impact of a PhD within our industry and whether it's revered or how much it matters perhaps for career and salary expectations. In the field of policy, can you tell us a little bit about how much a PhD matters in terms of career prospects?
2: Yeah, uh, so for me, I'm uh, very much interested in academia, mm-hmm. and that's the uh, key reason for me to take on uh, to do PhD. Uh, so uh, PhD wasn't there always like for me before. Like it's, I mean, it, it was not that I always wanted to do a PhD. I I did teach in a university before joining my PhD. I did teach for a for a year or something. So then I I felt okay. Academia is something like. I found myself uh, into it, so I, I decided to do my PhD, and in terms of career, I think, yes, PhD is important for you to just get yourself strong in the f- in your own, like, mm-hmm. area. And mm. we,
1: we, we certainly spoke about not just the technical skills, but also all of the soft skills that come along with doing a PhD and how those transfer mm. to a future career.
0: Absolutely. What what sort of soft skills do you think you've built in your in your work so far? I guess interviewing is a is a very useful one.
2: Yeah, and also writing because I've always been I'm not I I don't like writing much, mm. and also like I can express my uh, views when I talk to people, but I was not so good in expressing it through my words but mm. i think that is also important like and at some point not only in academia yeah in academia writing is very important but even uh, outside uh, uh, academia you need to write you need to express your views and thoughts uh, in writing at some point mm. so that like i think now i'm i'm in a better place i'm able to uh, express myself in my writing other than that i just my research skills like I'm, since I'm in my like final year of my PhD, I feel that I, uh, I'm I'm quite like confident in terms of uh, research, like mm. doing research. I'm just thinking of uh, even in future, if I had to do a project on my own, I can. I'm just confident enough to do that, mm. like research projects or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, um, and do you have any tips for anybody who wants to get into a, a policy PhD in the future?
2: Very good question. <laughs> So one thing I would say is if you if you want to do your PhD in policy studies, like just be clear in terms of what changes you want to bring in in terms of your research or even your work after your PhD, because that helps you to kind of get a focus on because it's not only PhD, because when we uh, when we decide to do do a PhD, it would uh, it's better to have something like after PhD. Mm -hmm. An application. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's like after PhD, and also like when you're done with your PhD, also like uh, it's you need to have some some something to carry forward from your PhD. So it's always good to have some clarity in the beginning. So place
1: yourself in your first year PhD shoes. What is one thing that you would do different in your first year of your PhD? If anything, you can say, I did everything right.
0: <laughs> I nailed it first
2: time. <laughs> no, it's a learning process. Uh, uh, so, we, uh, because our, our perception keeps changing as time like, goes, even like what um, uh, whatever views I have now, it would, it may it not be the same like after a few years. It's because more and more we learn, like our, our thoughts keep changing. And uh, what I was trying to say is, just, I think, like doing a PhD in policy studies is because I've I've heard people saying that it was there always for them to do a PhD in their bucket list. Like mm. I want I, I always wanted to do a PhD. Uh, so without just for the purpose of doing PhD, it's I, I think we, we need to uh, th- think beyond that.
1: Absolutely agree. You need to reason through. Yeah. It's four years, four plus years of yeah. your life.
2: Yeah, because you're uh, investing so much of time and energy. And if you have some clarity, uh, like as why you want to do is, uh, I mean, as why you want to do your PhD, I wouldn't say that things will change at the end of your PhD. But what shift you would like to bring in terms of even it could be a, a thought process, what shift you want to make in the thought process, how how uh, like people want to see the issue from a different uh, lens. So if you, if you have that particular clarity or that particular objective in, uh, like before doing a PhD, I think that would be great. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you've, you've certainly touched on a lot of things that I think a lot of PhD students can relate to, myself included, the way that I understand and synthesize the data that I look at now as a final year student is not the same way that I would have done it in my first year. Mm -hmm. I mean, a very simple example is reading the first ever paper that I read on my field, and I probably took in 5% of it in my first year. And even that 5% now is taken in with with a, a brand new understanding that's been built over the four years. And it's also great that you said, you know, a lot of people have it as a bucket list, Tick, and I like to hear people say, "No, I didn't always know that mm. I wanted to do a PhD." I,
0: I think it's great to have that aspiration throughout your, you know, potentially before you get to doing your undergrad that you you want to do a PhD. But I think if you can sit down and really set yourself a goal and say, "I want to do a PhD to achieve whatever," that can really help you in terms of motivation and direction going forward, and you, you'll end up with a lot better PhD experience as a result. I was wondering on, on your thoughts when do you think the question we had last time is when do you think is the best time in your life to do a phd do you go straight through university or go into industry first come back to it later
2: i wouldn't say uh, okay this is the right time to do your phd it's just do your phd when you feel like doing it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not having that pressure to do it soon after your post-graduation or just like okay, before, at some point I have to somehow complete my PhD. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. Just do it when you feel like doing it and when you have that um, mental space to do a PhD. Mm -hmm. I think that is very important. Like your your sanity is more important. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, so to close this conversation,
1: I thought that I would ask how do you think your PhD has influenced you going forward into either policy academic job or think tank job?
2: Yes, my PhD, I feel it has enabled me in many ways. If I had to think of my first year and now, my uh, understanding of the issue is, has changed. And I know definitely it will change after my submission, like when I'm done with it. So PhD has helped me to also get to know other aspects that I can venture in future. It's not only the issue that I'm working on right now, and it has given me huge learning in my field. So now I can confidently say, Okay, I can speak to uh, anyone about the issue with reasons. Mm -hmm. Not just like I'm so so personally connected with it, but I have like uh, data and reasons to, uh, to put forth my views.
0: Thank you all for listening. This episode was brought to you by Claudia J. Martin and Matt Byrne. The episode was edited and produced by Ivan Moroviev, Rachel Ward, and Paul Spencer from the Bristol Doctoral College. We hope to see you again in the next episode.